We all have big dreams, but far too often we never give them a chance to come true. Well, that all changes today. Welcome to Just Keep Learning, where we'll help you develop the right mindset, be more productive, and learn more effectively so you can accomplish anything. Here's your host, Justin at Just Tries. Our guest today is an incredibly successful entrepreneur, but it didn't start out that way. Many of us see the end results, but don't understand all the effort that goes into the early journey. He went from underperforming academically, working the classic nine to five, paying bills, and in the end, recognizing that he wanted to own all of his work. He tried a few, arguably many business ideas, but stuck with creating books to sell online at first. This led to the first bit of passive income, which he leveraged to start investing. Over the course of a few years, he was able to become a full-time entrepreneur and pursue his goals simply because he wants to. So much wisdom in this episode about retiring early, turning grief into a positive, and how to be the successful entrepreneur that you want to be. Please welcome to interview 36, Hugh's Views, Hugh Davies. Beautiful. So thank you so much, first off, for doing this. I'm really excited to be here. And I know it can be a bit of like putting people on the spot, but I always love to ask people sort of who they are, what they do, because we do so many things in this world of online business. Yeah, absolutely. So pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. My name's Hugh. How would I define myself? Uh, it would be somewhere between entrepreneur, investor, and now content creator. It would be something along that path. Just to give a very brief about how I've come to that conclusion, uh, I, I was in sales. I was a sales manager for a number of years. And then 2015, I created my own business, publishing books online. I've been doing that since 2015. But it wasn't really uh, fulfilling me. So I used the money that I was making to uh, continue investing into stocks and shares. I'm more recently property. And that's why I would class myself an investor because I do really love that. I'm more recently in the last year, I've been looking to create my own brand and just create content because I didn't have that creative expression uh, that I was missing for the last five or six years. So uh, yeah, somewhere between entrepreneur, although that, you know, that can sound a little bit cliche nowadays, investor and uh, content creator. Yeah, it's interesting you say that it can sound a bit cliche. So when you say that, the cliche version versus what you hope entrepreneurship stands for, can you kind of play that out a bit for us? Yeah, so entrepreneur, I, I think for me, conjures the image as someone that has multiple businesses. So I've now got three businesses. So that's why I think it probably is classed as under that. And I think that people can band that word around. Like, and I, and I think there's, it's not necessarily a good thing to have multiple businesses or to be proud of the fact that you're just continually churning out businesses. But entrepreneurship as I'm speaking out loud now also means a bit of a mindset, someone that wants to grow and improve and monetize things, turn, you know, value exchange into monetization. And I definitely think like that. Hobbies can turn into, how can I turn this into something else? And how can I grow? How can I tweak? And I've learned that not everyone feels like that. So it's probably a fairly accurate description of who I am. Mm -hmm. A huge part of the show definitely is entrepreneurship because the genesis of it for me was working with youth who really, A, probably are going to struggle to go to college and don't necessarily want to either, and B, even just holding down a job where they have a boss and they have to maybe work behind a counter at a grocery store. Like that's they're just not those types of youth. And so that was a big part of why we started the show and why I latched on to you bringing up entrepreneurship so early because I really think that just kind of working on that topic a little bit can be helpful. So so were you always an entrepreneur yourself or how did you go about that journey of getting into it yourself? 
That's a great question because I wouldn't have identified as someone that was an entrepreneur my whole life. But when I look back, there definitely were entrepreneurial traits, which I've pulled upon. The reason that there's doubt there is because I'm inherently risk averse. And the older that I've got, the less risk averse I've become. So uh, my personality profile and um, something that they've done, a wealth dynamics is, is the name of this personality test. And I'm, I'm known as what is an accumulator. And it's someone that is very process driven, a deep thinker, and another famous accumulator is Warren Buffett. Someone analyzes spreadsheets, looks at facts and details. And we are the most risk averse profile in the whole set. And I was like, okay, that does ring a chord with me. But through my business ventures that I've been doing since 2015, I've just learned that I am much better and happier when I just let it go a little bit and uh, can experiment and risk more. So to answer your question, entrepreneurship, uh, as a kid and a teen, probably not at all. And even as a um, someone, when I went to uni, I did I did really poorly at uni and I'm not overly great at school. Very, very average at best. I was like a classic underperformer, like someone that was reputed to be someone that could be successful, but I had zero interest in it. I think then later on in my 20s, I had this feeling of dissatisfaction. I was suffering with mental health. I was overweight. I was single. I was getting pissed every weekend. I was like, what am I doing? Like I, I knew deep down I was capable of more but I wasn't producing that and I think it's then really when I had enough like I need to change this that I started to grow and experiment and learn and then these entrepreneurial things came I think really into into play uh, so it's something that I've probably harnessed more in the last 15 years but I'd say prior to that 15 years kind of 25 to 10 uh, I don't think there was really much entrepreneurial ship you know tendencies going out there which speaks to another huge theme of this show. And that's the idea of growth mindset. You know, I think a lot of us used to think or culturally, societally, we certainly thought that we kind of stopped learning after uni or even earlier. You know, if you want to learn how to golf, you have to be a kid and start early and start young and all these sorts of things. And there's certainly some benefits to learning young. But that definitely speaks to a huge message that I try and send this idea that you can get into entrepreneurship or you can become a little more risk tolerant in your later years and all these sorts of things like we, we are very much more malleable and uh, the neuroplasticity the ability for our brains to change is a lot better than we think it is you know so that's pretty cool to hear about just to go back a little bit to the uni part and and school when you say that you were underperformer was it because you were not so interested in school did you just not have the skill set for school as much or what was that part for you I just I, fi I find it dull, you know. To be honest with you, that was like the the long and short of it. I did, it was I wasn't engaged in it. I loved hanging out with people. Some I would say maybe two or three teachers stand out, which really pulled it out of me, and I wanted to impress them. But outside of that, I really struggled. If anything, it got worse, and I and I did reasonably well at sixth form college, which for us is seven to nineteen, just prior to going into uni, and then at uni. I did quite poor in the first year and it just got progressively worse and worse. And I was just done with it. I was just sick of that. Like what actually really pissed me off, to be frank, was when we were in a, a classroom setting and they were talking about something and bring up uh, a conversation. I was one of the more active people. Now, that doesn't mean I was the most intelligent or I brought, you know, loads of insight, but I, I, I was really active and I love debate and I love asking why. Like, I don't understand that. And let me just push back a little bit in this area. And people would say uh, or pass comment that, oh, you know, why are your grades so poor when you're so active in class? Like, you, you, you are clearly someone that's got something about them, but my grades weren't showing it. And 
I, I just really struggle to put that down into words. Like I'm more of a numbers analytical guy, like right or wrong maths and science. When it came to expressing myself in English language, written language, it frustrated me that I couldn't put across as well as some of my peers. And my, my ex at the time was excellent at English. And we both kind of agreed, like, I think I'm more intelligent than you, right? And she was like, yeah, like you are. Like, no, yeah, I, I could tell you are. And yet I couldn't write the way she did. I looked at her opening paragraph on an essay. I was like, how do you write like that? I can't write like that. I personally felt it was unfair to be judged on the way we write English when there is so much more to be taken into account. I'm not saying everything needs to be in the classroom, but I think a lot more needs to be and a lot less needs to be weighted about how you write something out. So um, I, I think there might have been some kind of, I'm losing this game, therefore I'm not interested. That There must be some of that in there. But ultimately, I just wasn't engaged. I felt there's just far more out there to, to be done. I, I, I want to be more judged on the practical application of what you do. That interests me far more. Which to me makes a lot of sense. A lot of the youth that I work with are hip hop artists. They love poetry. They can write like nobody I've ever seen, yet there could never pass an English course in a high school around here. There'd be no chance. It's not set up the same way of that. And I, I hate to pick on mainstream education because it's kind of become a running theme. If you go back through every episode we've had so far, everyone shares a very similar story or stories, myself included. It can be tough, but I think it's valuable to talk about it because it helps inspire some people that even even if I don't fit in here and it's not for me, as you put it, you know, there, there's a bit of that in, in a lot of us, then there are still other things, you know. Um, so did you complete uni? Yeah, like barely. I rolled over the line, like barely touched the line. You know, it was I didn't graduate my friends because I didn't pass. I got a third, which is like an embarrassing barely degree. Uh, but at that point, I, uh, to be frank, I didn't give a shit. I was done with it. Like I just got I just got this over with. And another underlying thing, Justin, I haven't mentioned was my dad put pressure on me. I was I was one of the only members in my immediate family to go to uni. There weren't many people that went through that. And my dad was like, look, just you kind of got to get when you get through, you can do what you want. Just please get through it and I didn't want him and he kept just stay with it keep doing it and he was looking out for me so there's no animosity there you know uh, but he likes to be forced to do anything like, you know, and I think there's, that's another entrepreneurial trait is that they, you know, go and create their own destiny rather than trying to live someone else's. So there, there was that underlying thing as well. Which can be a scary sentiment. So just to go back to that, so you finish uni and then to go somewhat chronologically, I guess, to the first time that you create business or get a job, what was the next step for you? So from a job perspective, I went, I, I, I'm, you know, got like a, a not a very good degree. I went to a local warehouse and it's kind of practical application straight away. So it's just physical manual labor. I get into it. It's like, this is a stopgap job until I, I find out what I want to do. The manager above us at the time, it was really sad. Within, I think, I think it was within six months, he had a heart attack and died. We just turned up and the guy had passed away. So I stepped up into the role to kind of take over as this 23-year-old. I was in charge of 60-year-olds. You know, these guys, who's this guy? Like, and, and it's in warehouse environment as well so it wasn't very politically correct they would tell you if they didn't respect you and they didn't uh, and it was like a very great it was a brilliant learning opportunity for me so I, I was a manager for I think I was there for about two and a half three years in total my mind kind of is a bit blank on that but um, I knew that I was capable of more and uh, I didn't know what to do my dad was in sales so suggested why don't you do that you, the degrees don't matter it's decent money I thought okay that probably makes the next logical step so I went into sales and I tried to call 
cold calling job, which was very difficult, wasn't for me. And then I went into selling activity holidays for children at PGL, this company in the UK, and it just transformed my life. You know, it was just a beautiful, positive experience that we were selling. I could really get behind it. I worked my way up the ladder to sales manager there. And it was at that point when I realized, actually, I'm good at my job. I love this business and I love the people I work with, but I think I need to do my own thing. And I was trialing a few things out and one of the business ideas took off and I just went for that full time. And I think earlier you snapped your fingers and you said that's when it clicked. And so that's maybe that same moment of getting into entrepreneurship, I guess, and and kind of doing your own thing. If you could just talk us through that transition a little bit from, okay, I love my job, sales manager, but I have something else I want to do, an itch I need to scratch. So, So what was that at that moment for you? Well, the the job that I had, I was I was a middle manager, so I I was um, you know I had a manager, but then I was in charge of a team. Um, so you kind of it's a really difficult job if you haven't done that because the team you have to go through these weird dynamics of being in charge of people, and not everyone likes that. And yet also I had to be holding to someone else as well. This person was like a sister to me. This boss was the best boss I've ever worked with. She was fantastic and taught me so much. And I was saying, look, I want to get your job and move my way up and become a director. And she was saying, you're what you love and what you're potentially very good at is working with this group of people. You're not going to be doing that anymore. You're going to be sitting in meetings, doing this and doing that. And she just had a real frank conversation with me and said, my life, this is what you're moving towards. Is that what you want to do? And I was like, uh, uh, no, that really isn't. I want to do what I'm doing right now. I get paid more for it. And she's like, it won't be like that. These are the other things. There are pluses to it, but there's going to be these negatives. And uh, I thought that I want more of an income. I want to provide more for myself and my other half, but this isn't what I want. So I started then experimenting with different business ideas. And um, yeah, it was really that switch, I think, in that conversation. So I'm sure it could be a 10-hour interview or a 10-day interview, but the idea of experimenting with different business ideas, what were some of those ideas? Like, I know a lot of people are probably listening. They're either in that warehouse or in that middle management job, and they're becoming inspired to start tinkering with different business ideas themselves. But for you specifically, what were those different ideas that you had? Okay, I'm gonna give you two answers. The first one is the stuff that I tried. So I tried reselling on eBay, which was fantastic. That's a very good, easy way of doing it because you can sell the stuff in your house that you're not using right now and that you're not really valuing. Go and give it to someone else and get some money for that. I started then going to car boots where I was picking up items which I felt were valuable and being undervalued by the sellers and selling them on eBay, which is okay. How much are they selling for? You research on eBay and then you've got a profit between the gap. So that was very good. There was a thing in the UK called match betting. We're allowed to bet in the UK. I'm not sure what the laws are in Canada. But there are ways of statistically like finding like arbitrage bets where you're given bonuses and offers and you bet against both outcomes. So team A wins. I've got a bonus to bet on team A and I can just bet against it on team B using the exchange and I win either way, basically a small sum. So if you keep piling on and rinse and repeating that process you mathematically end up winning money in the long haul. And it's all tax-free because it's gambling money, it's winnings. So I tried that, but then it became less and less sustainable, more and more work. And when they find out, the companies find out that you're doing it, they ban you from their site, much like a casino, they kick you out. So it gets Mm. harder and harder to maintain that income. You know, there were, I tried getting part-time jobs. I tried different business ideas that just didn't really work. But the second answer really, which I think is more important to the people that are listening to this, is try and lean into as much as you can of what your strengths are. So it's trying to identify what you're good at. Well, how do you know what you're good at? People come to you. People tell you this. People ask you for advice in this area. That's what you're, that's what you tend to be good at. And you'll inherently have 
a better idea than you think of what you're good at. Secondly, you need to think about what you're passionate about and what you love. And if you can lean into that, how do you know what you love and what you're passionate about? You spend your free time doing it and you spend your money doing it. And if you can find even an area of one of those where you can monetize, you're in a much stronger position because you love doing it or you're good at it. And the real, you know, the, the real winner is when you can have the crossover of the two. It's something you could potentially become world-class at and something that you love doing. Like you would do it for free anyway. You pay money to do it. So now getting paid to do it is a, is a pure joy. Now that won't happen overnight. That took me years to get to the point in which what I'm doing now is create my own brand through YouTube and helping people with finance. But I just continued exploring those avenues. This is the closest I've got to it, which is creating my YouTube brand and um, trying to help people become financially independent. Yeah, that's really what my goal is now. So the people who are uh, scared but really know they want it, though, in terms of making that decision, I'm sure it was not super easy for you, uh, but maybe it was. Like the actual decision to go full time and or, I guess it's a two-part question now, people who are worried about being able to pay their bills, like did you have to do the side hustle version like a lot of people preach, like Chris Gibo's book, Side Hustle, or was it like, okay, you know what? I'm confident I'll succeed, so I'm going to jump ship and let's do this thing. Yes, it's really difficult when I'm looking at the recording now we're on 17 minutes you think you're trying to summarize your life in that time it's like oh god i missed this i missed that right so i've got to just step back very briefly because it's important prior to making that business decision what i learned was i was terrible with money so i spent a lot of time learning how to become good with money and get it back from i was in uh, i was over 10 grand in debt to put that in context so people are far worse off but i had that plus student loan on top once i learned how to handle money and i had money saved i was like right i can now actually start investing with it how do you invest so i learned to do that and with me not knowing where i wanted to go in my career one thing I stumbled across was the FIRE community, which is financial independence, retire early. And I thought that, do you know what would be a quite fun game? Is I'm 30. Let's see if I can retire by the time I'm 40. And I thought, if, if I don't know what I'm going to do from a career perspective, at least if I pay for my living expenses, then I don't have to work. I can travel. I can just dick around and do my hobbies for fun. And I'm still getting paid. So that was like a no-brainer for me. So this is sometime, the reason I want to share that with you is because there will be people out there that are confused and lost and won't know what to do. And it's very scary thinking about going out starting business. At the very least, try and reinvest into the stock market or property investing. The stock market is just way easier, but it takes longer. Property or real estate is hard does take a lot more time, but you'll get there faster and maybe do a blend of the two. So if you can cover your living expenses through investments, you don't have to worry about what you do. You can choose that and you can do charity work or whatever it is that you want to do or spend time with your family. That was ticking on in the background. And I realized there's only so far you can reduce your expenses. And I had to earn more money to be able to invest more. So that's what got me to, right, okay, I need to either need to accelerate this career or I need to make some money on the side. So I explored the career bit and I had, this takes me back to that meeting with my manager and it was like this probably isn't what I want therefore I need to make money on the side I, I tried literally googling make money online and came across some dude uh, Stefan Planeros who's another Canadian now known as Stefan James uh, he came out with the course K Money Mastery and he was making he was reputed I think like five to ten grand a month doing books online and he wasn't making he wasn't writing the books he was just publishing them I was like what the hell like how is this even possible the course was 30 quid and I was like oh I don't even oh, I don't even want to spend 30 pounds because I was so tight at the time. I was like, I just don't want to do this. I thought, back yourself, just go for it. So I just tried it out. I thought, look, if I lose 30 quid, it's not the end of the world. And I released my first book and it just got me excited. The book was terrible. Like it's made, it hasn't even made its money back, but it gave me, it got that monkey off my back and made me realize what the process was and got me into doing book number two. And book number two was far more successful and led me on and led me on. And by the end of that year, I think it was, I did something like 68 books in a year. And within seven months, I'd covered my living expenses 
expenses from book income. Now, the reason I mentioned the caveat of investing is really important because at that point, I was bringing in a few hundred pounds a month passive income through my dividend investing. It wasn't anywhere near to live on, but it gave me some security that I knew where it was going. And it, and, and if I kept going, then I could pro- I wouldn't be far off getting by if I just kept going. So the biggest thing holding me back was my day job. So my nine to five, I was working. The way I was publishing books was getting up at five to five, doing two hours before work. I was doing a lunch hour. I was like sending emails, creating covers. And then in the evening, I'd do a couple hours in the evening. Then on the weekends, I'd choose a whole day. Saturday, say nine to three, I would do a good kind of six hours here, six hours there on weekends. I'm just... I could just see the results coming in, so I did more, and more results were coming in, so I did more. Yeah, I took a very wild decision, which I would never advise anyone to do it, which I just quit my job in July. So I I did seven months worth and just thought, let's see what I can do if I went for this full time. So I had investments behind me. I had a company that didn't want me to go, a company that said, you're welcome back anytime. And I knew that there was potential that I could maybe earn five to 10 grand a month if I really gave this everything. So I had this belief. I didn't know if it would work out, but I'm telling you what, Justin, I would have fucking killed myself and done anything to make it work. I would have worked 16 hour days. I would have bought myself nothing, gone on no holidays, no new clothes, nothing. I wasn't going to stop until I was prepared to make it work. And I think having that gave me the confidence to give it a go. I didn't want that to be my life but I was prepared to go that far if needs be to make it happen. And I think a combination of all those things that I could, if it all went tits up, I could go back to a job. You know, I had my investments building up. I had this thing that had potential. I just needed to give it everything. Let's see what happens. Yeah, you got me in like a let's go kind of mode and I want to start a business right now. Let's and, do it. Or just go. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just go work out or something. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I feel that. And I think what's so interesting is that I mean, the simplest question I can ask is why, but let me ask it a little longer. When you say you were prepared to die to achieve that, I think a lot of people, I mentioned earlier that a lot of people would be listening and be inspired to go start their thing. A whole other group of people will be listening and be like, what is wrong with these two (laughs) in terms of like, and and this has come up on multiple episodes as well. The idea that people would work so hard and put in so much blood, sweat and tears, you know, Mm. versus the cushy sort of maybe you get more sleep and uh, routine and all those other things. You don't even need to work as many hours maybe at your nine to five. Why? Why do you think for you that was such an important thing to make that successful? Ah, great question, isn't it? Yeah, we could probably touch on that for an hour in itself (laughs) or multiple hours, right? I think it's an inbuilt, innate thing. Testosterone, masculine, insecurity, drive. The answer is I don't know the answer. All I know is my entire life I've been competitive and driven and I want to be the best version I can be. And the younger Hugh, which was way more in balance, wanted to crush his opponents and beat everyone because I love the glory and I'm brilliant and I want that. And there was a lot of insecurity in that probably. Now, and when I went into kind of like late 20s, 30s, there wasn't this competition I want to crush people. It was like, I just want to be the best version of me. And I, and actually, if I can help other people become the best version of them, that gives me as much juice. So my competitive spirit has always been there, but it's just transferred now. I'm no longer the Michael. Michael Jordan, by the way, watching The Last Dance made me feel normal. I was like, there's something fucking wrong with me. But re- watching how much of a psychopath that guy is, I was like, actually, I'm not that bad, you know? And I just changed. Like, it was more important. I was competitive. Like, I want to be the best friend I could be. I want to be the best partner I could be, the best son that I could be. So those things meant more than me succeeding. So, and I'm glad that I took that because I think it's a much more balanced point of view. So 
let's answer your question. Like, why is that? Is it this drive stroke insecurity? And, and I think there's something both. Like, I've had this innate feeling like I'm capable of something special. Now, I could be full of shit and deluded, or I could be spot on. You know, like Henry, Henry Ford said, you know, if you believe that you are or you're, or, or you're not, you believe that you can or you can't, it's true. So I choose to believe that I'm capable of something special. There's this underlying thing. I I'm, I'm not religious. So I believe that when you're done, it's you're done. Um, I, I have nothing against religion. I think it's a it's a largely positive thing, although there are negative elements to it. But I, I have to maximize this opportunity. And losing my dad a couple of years ago just really hit home the fact that, mate, that this could happen. It could be taken from you at any moment. You've just got to give it everything you got. So why not? And whenever I've worked... like. You look back at the best things in your life. What are you most proud of? And I went through this exercise and it was always when I got uncomfortable and did something that I was scared of. You know, there wasn't anything there that was easy. It was all that I had to really, I don't know if I could do this. I'm actually really scared. And then I pushed myself and I did it. And it was like, wow, this is what life is about. So I've tried to put myself as much as I can in that position. It's not easy. I still struggle with it, but I just keep persevering and keep trying to do it. So I, I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I've answered the question, Justin, but that's just honestly how I feel. Well, regardless, it's a beautiful response. And I think those questions are so open-ended, they're hard to answer, which is why we succeed in this world, because it's not that math or that linear language, you know, it's uh, the ability to talk about these things. And um, I'm sorry about your father. That's no, okay. Rest in peace. And oh, thanks. And uh, I know that grief is a big part of many of our journeys. Um, when you brought up the boss having died of a heart attack a, a few moments ago, I had a slight moment because I lost my brother to a heart attack this past winter. Oh, I'm sorry, Justin. I appreciate it as well. Uh, and the craziest part of that story is our brother died in a car accident the year before that. And I oh. think part of him dying the next year was that idea that we are so connected through our hearts in many ways. Like, you know, that you hear about partners losing their, their loved one and then, then they pass away shortly after because of that. Well, my other brother didn't have a partner, didn't have kids. He His best friend was our other brother. And Jeez. and so it's it's been an interesting couple of years. And, and anyways, the reason I bring that up is for any of us, grief is such a big part of this journey too. And we don't often talk about it, but you kind of reference sort of like a, I don't know if it was a paying tribute type thing, but it's, it's I think, something that can be really valuable to us to have a healthy understanding of grief. Like, do you find that you do, or is that something you struggle with as well? Or Yeah, it's another great question. I, I think so. I've always tried to remain grounded with that. Like people talk very flippantly, like, Oh, you can, you know, your pension at 55. I don't know if I'm going to get to 55. Like, I hope so. I look after myself. But I think people take for granted what can happen. I've just seen enough people get cancer or get something that happens to them and they're gone and life has changed. And I don't ever want to take that for granted. So I try to live not knowing or not expecting that it's going to go to the end of the road. And I think that's a healthy way to live. Like I, I covered in one of my videos that Bonnie Ware did a uh, study on the top regrets of the dying. And that in itself, if you just research Bonnie Ware, top five regrets of the dying and reading that five and do nothing else that'll probably add value to your life and the number one was really not doing the thing you know doing things that other people have expected you rather than doing what you truly wanted to do like really going for it for it and, and living a life without regret and death is shit right it's it's one of the worst things about life but one of the the greatest thing it's one of its uh, life's greatest teachers it lets you know that this isn't a given and it gives you a very powerful reminder to live for the moment and do that thing that inherently you want to do go for it back yourself life is precious yeah i've tried to i've tried to take that on as much as possible my dad was taken away through sepsis he went from being ill and 3 weeks later he was in intensive care and he went um it was shocking for our entire family i didn't get a chance to say goodbye to him I, there were so many things I want to say. So that 
I know people have had it worse, but that was very hard for us in our family. And it, and he was done. He went at sixty seven, so he wasn't young, but he wasn't old either. We still felt he had more to give, and he was working full time and struggling because he was so poor with money. And he didn't get a chance to retire and relax. And I think there's probably a lot in that, which has also drive me as well. You know, to try and get so far ahead and try and help my family financially. Yeah, death, death is a powerful teacher. And I tried to take the learning in everything that I do. I definitely took that from Michael Jordan as a teenager. Just whenever, when his dad was murdered, he went for that horrendous thing. And he still said that you've got to try and find the positive. You've got to try and find the learning from it and the, and the outcome. And it's just that life is precious. Don't hang around, like make dad proud. He's still there. He still lives within me. You know, his impact has affected me for the rest of my life. Let's do him proud right now. Uh, so yeah, try and use uh, it. That doesn't make it easy, but if you can use it to leverage and to move you. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And you speak with a lot of humility and kindness and generosity, which is why you you said that I know people have it worse. One thing I've also learned is that our own journeys, like we need to feel the things ourselves regardless, you know, so there's no less or more pain that people have. And, and one of the ways that I've learned that is through working with victims of trauma. And I'm talking very serious trauma that you see in like, you know, the crime movies and stuff like that. And some of them have somehow turned that into a strength. And some with what you might measure way less trauma, like if you could measure it, which you can't, but if you could really struggle for the rest of their lives with that and it ruins their jobs and ruins their lives and they never hold down a good relationship and all these things. And so I, I think grief is so similar. You know, we have people who are maybe in their 80s and lose their wife and it, you know, ruins them and other people who have lost so many people and they're able to look like you said to use it as leverage and to pay tribute and that. That. So I, I think that's one thing I've certainly learned is that it's a, a very individual journey. That's for sure. But to just stick with entrepreneurship quickly, because like you said, it's so hard to summarize our lives in one conversation. And uh, maybe we can run it back for episode 200 or something. But there was one thing you said earlier that you felt some entrepreneurial traits that you had that possibly were in you, but you weren't necessarily accessing as much. So I'm sure some of those are transferable traits that other people might have. But when you think of those entrepreneurial traits what are some of the things that you're referring to so my, my friend i don't think this will be that obvious i might be off the mark with it but it's just the first thing that popped in my head during lockdown i learned how to juggle i was just I was like, oh i've always wanted to do one of these things i'll just do it so i learned with the three balls and then when you get the three balls down I was like, obviously i'm going to pick up four so i pick up four and try to learn that then you've got all the tricks between the three like the guy in the middle you've got the different the patterns and doing the waterfall and everything and i, I taught my friend how to juggle and he, we got the basics of three i was like right now we can get on the tricks he's like no he's like now I'm, f- I'm fine with just juggling. I was like, what do you mean? I was like, you, you could, yeah, but you can do three. So let's, let's push on. And he's like, <laughs> he said, you're pushing on's for you. He's like, I'm fine with three balls, thanks. And he just started laughing at me. And I was like, oh, well, I'm the weird one. And, and then his friend confirmed that. I was like, yeah, I am different. Like there's always, you know, I say always, but there's regularly like, what else can I do? Where can I take this? And I'm, I, I have a very compulsive mindset. I'm an addictive thinker. You know, I overthink quite a lot. A very active brain. So for the most part of my life, I've tried to ignore the bad things in life. Like when I went drinking, drinking took over my life and I was drinking at least every other day at uni. Uh, uh, so I, I had a drinking problem at the time. I'll, I'll be honest. I think that's what it was. Uh, but I was functioning. And I need to make sure that I put myself towards learning, you know, get obsessed with meditation, making money or looking after money and health. Because if I'm in that mindset, then it will kind of serve me well. Because there's always this progression of what next? Where can I take this to? How can I grow it? You know, how can I grow this thing? How can I take it on to the 
next level. So the entrepreneurship is, I enjoy the game. I like playing games. Business is a game. And I think, you know, if you can get into something that you're good at or you're very interested in, it can be so much fun as well. And then it will be hard work at some point. It's never easy. But when you enjoy it, 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 it's fun to problem solve and work your way around it rather than school, which was kind of forced upon you and I wasn't engaged with it. So again, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but I just knew that there was this nature of me always wanted to take things onto the next level and grow. And um, I had that in non-business related things and then very quickly in business, like books, for example, my very same friend, I taught to do what I did and he released four books and he was like, I'm done with it. I can't do it. And I released 68 in the first year. So that just kind of sums up the, you know, the difference of uh, like, he did it, but he was like, uh, you know, just play through it. Just get through it. Like, here's another quick example, Justin, uh, that's kind of unrelated, but The Office US. We're based in the UK. The UK, Ricky Gervais made the UK version. So I've watched that. My friend doesn't like cringeable TV. And he is watching Michael Scott to start with. And he was really struggling with him in the first series because he's so like over the top cringeable. But I said, look, if you can get through the late, like get through series three and four, it's gold TV. By series seven, like you fall in love with the characters. It's it's amazing. It's feel good TV. He couldn't go through the hard stage. Now, this is another entrepreneurial trait. I'll work my tits off and be very uncomfortable to benefit from that delayed gratification. I'll work out in a gym for two hours because I know how great I feel at the end of it. And what I find is I'm the weirdo and most people aren't prepared to do that because they don't enjoy it in the moment. But I can grind through knowing there's goodness on the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really fascinating thing. The idea of delayed gratification. I've often said to teachers that like, how could we teach this? Like, it, and, and I think that's one of the things that's hard is there's so many of these traits, like yourself aside, I guess, or I'm sure you have some of them too. But like, if you were to try and do a mind map and list some other traits, like, you know, somebody's listening to this, a kid who's 16 years old, and it's like, maybe I want to be an entrepreneur. And you're like, well, having these abilities would help you. What are some more of those that you would list? So I think resilience is is got to be high up there. That that and courage, resilience, curiosity, wisdom. So the desire to want to grow is really useful. I think trying to be the best in whatever it is that you do. I think let let me put this back. I think one of the best things that you can do is live with Orate, which is the name of my property investing company. And Orate is living with excellence, and it's the pursuit of trying to close the gap between who you are and who you're capable of being. And what you'll never ever reach it, but the pursuit of doing that, living the best version of you, gives you true life fulfillment. And that I think encompasses everything. And when it comes to business uh, and what traits come off the back of that, I think being courageous enough to act in the presence of fear, that's not the absence of fear, because people get this mixed up. It's being scared and doing it anyway. That's true courage. So being able to take an action, I think it's having the resilience that you, when, when you do get knocked off your pedestal and you get knocked down, you get back up very quickly. It's the speed in which you're able to. Not feeling sorry and pitiful and down in the dumps for days and weeks and months and years. It's about, yes, feeling that initially and getting right back on that horse and getting back to it. So I think that if you're courageous enough to keep trying and when you do fall off, you can get back up again, you're going to be a success in whatever you do. They, they, they are fundamental, I think, attributes to being successful. I'm a big believer that with uh, the uh, an appropriate time window and the right habits and some potentially mentorship, we can all succeed in those in anything we want to do as well. So to pivot a tiny bit anyways, you mentioned that investing was a big part of what you ended up doing next. And so we haven't talked a lot about financial literacy on this show or those sorts of things. Similarly, if you were trying to give someone some advice and, and I'll, I'll open up a bit, I had a very similar journey, right? Okay, I need to start setting money aside. I'm going to get into investing. 
I got into investing in a very, let's call it a green light scenario, right? Buy any stock and they're going up. And so I learned, and I know Ray Dalio talk, op- talks about that, right? When he first got into investing, he had a whole team and it all crashed because again, it was a frothy environment, right? And so that was my timing. I did quite well, probably grew enough money that I could take a few years off. And then it all came crashing down. <laughs> so if you're trying to help someone avoid some of those pitfalls like I did, what would be some kind of overarching things that you would want to teach people getting into investing? Uh, fundamentally, don't do what Justin did. Uh, <laughs> sorry, mate. It's all good. Um, in all seriousness, I think stock selection is a really poor way to start. I think that just sticking to global index funds, or at least if you're Canadian or US, US index funds where you're buying like the S&P 500, a slice of the top 500 blue chip companies and just getting on with your life. You know, what I did was somewhat similar to you. I started down that thing. Then I started selecting companies that give ever increasing dividends year on year. So my income would grow with inflation. That was the kind of principle behind it. But stock selection is a yeah, it's a rough game. And there are one, there are wins, and I doubled my money within months and they were growing dividends. And I had one company within about the space of eight years, which was up to like uh, a 15, 16% return it was giving me annually. And I'm like, hey, like I'm a genius. Like I'm brilliant, right? But then I don't tell you about the ones where I invested and lost 85% of my capital. They cut their dividend for three years and it was an absolute pointless investment. And you have to count both. But yet we tend to focus on the one that was 15% and how brilliant we are. The truth is the amount of work that goes into stock selection is not worth the comparison results you can get from index investing. Look, if you want to have a flutter, do no more than 10% on stock selection, but 90% should be just on index funds on the global market and just get on with your life. You know, that is going to outperform 90% of people that do stock selection anyway. The chances are you probably aren't in that 10%. And I learned that way. And I just wish I just stuck to the advice, which was most of it in global index funds, and then getting on with my life with the, you know, with, with the remaining um, remaining time. Yeah, that would be my advice. Start small, start with money. You do not want to invest, uh, you do not need, and you, you are not going to touch for 10 years. If you think that you might need that money in the next two to five years for a house, for something else, do not invest in stocks. This is a long-term play. And when I say long year, minimum 10 years, ideally, however old you guys are, listen to this, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So if you've got that horizon, look at where the stock market's gone in that period of time. It beats cash 99.9% of the time over a 20-year period. It beats it 90% of the time over 10 years. So the longer that you play the game, the more that you win. So don't try and be clever. Don't try and be smart. Just put, you know, live below your means, put that money into a global index fund for 10 plus years and you won't go far wrong. Now, what about the idea of sort of, I guess, creating a budget? Like, is that old school advice? Or what about, you know, being able to set that money aside and like how to get there? The, you know, the whole fire thing that you referenced, the ability to retire early, like sort of some of the principles that come from that. So my dad was someone that liked to spend. Uh, he liked to get the best in what he did. But he worked a mile away from work and he owned two cars. So he was like the opposite like of me like more recently. And what I learned was I, I used to be like that in my 20s, at, like after uni, I wanted the best of things and realized actually it's a, it's a fruitless game because when you start trying to chase fashion and luxuries, there is no end. They become normal and you lose... You lose the benefits of that within weeks or months of purchasing it. 
And on, on the other side, what I wanted to do instead of buying luxuries was buy my freedom. So that was the decision that I made. So rather than buy the nice things, if I'm going to buy my freedom, I'm, I'll do that by living well below my means. Just to give you an example of that, I thought I was saving and pretty frugal. And I calculated what my savings rate was. And that is the amount of money you're able to save and invest versus what you get as an income as a wage. And I worked it out and it was 38%. Okay. Now the richest man in Babylon suggests that you should save between 10 and 30% of your take-home pay, okay? And I was like, 38%. I am a savings god, Justin. I, I I am like above everyone on the planet. Like, this is unbelievable what I'm doing right now. And then I stumbled across the FIRE community and there are people there doing 50, 60, 70, and 80% of their wage. They're able to invest in that. And I was like, that that's not even possible. How do you do that? And the vast majority is it is leaving, living below your means. So cooking lunches at home, not having a car, Getting rid of that insurance payment, the tax payment, the maintenance, the fuel. It's not purchasing unnecessary items. It's all this kind of basic stuff. And it doesn't sound sexy. It, in fact, sounds really boring. And it sounds painful. But the reality is, it's not just not those things. It can add value to your life. So I always encourage people to work off a budget and to test that and to be continually switching, negotiating better rates, eliminating expenses, and just see how low you can go to a point which you feel still comfortable. Like we got rid of Sky TV, which I know some people have cable or nowadays it's more like Netflix, right? So we got rid of that because it was 50 pounds a month. But I'll be honest with you, when I did that, like I felt scared because I loved watching sport. Like I was like, oh, what am I going to do in the evening? Like, I really don't want to do this. I thought, okay, well, let's try it for a month. And if it's not good, we can always go back, right? So we did that. And then what were we doing? We were talking. Me and my other half were actually hanging out. We were like playing games. We were going for walks. And actually what you realize is, okay, that doesn't sound interesting. I know that. But when you're doing it, it was. Like, it was way more fulfilling than sitting there vegging out watching TV. And that is the fire community. I got rid of my car and I was walking two and a half miles to work or biking two and a half miles. And you think, oh God, when it's raining, oh God, I can't be bothered this morning. But the truth is I'd get to work and I'd be like invigorated. I was like, my heart rate was up. I was like, hey, let's go. And everyone else is like yawning and like, mm, you know, and I was listening to podcasts about entrepreneurship and business and well-being and mindset. And I was buzzing. So it wasn't just a, it wasn't not a negative thing. It was actually adding value to my life. So to answer your question, it's a strong yes. My work is 15 miles, so it's like, that's the thing that's, uh, oh, wow. you know, there's those things, okay. but I certainly appreciate it. I think I do okay, but I've had ebbs and flows, right? You mentioned the idea of taking down the uh, cable or the TV, the sky, you know, we did that once and then you know, brought it back once. And there's kind of these sorts of backs and forth and something that I, I think I'm okay, but nowhere near any of the fire people for sure, you know, and trying to figure out that balance, but more so for other people. I just think it's really good to, for them to hear that because I had heard about fire and, and looked into it a few years back too. learned quite a bit at that time, similar to how you did. And some people have just, they've never lived that life at all. They've never even heard about it. Like this will be groundbreaking. What you just said in a, in a matter of minutes, there could be groundbreaking reflective moments for people for sure. Can I share some Something with you as well, Jesse, which is interesting because I've, I've got both examples here, right? My dad had a Porsche and it was a secondhand Porsche. It was it, it was a nice car, but it wasn't like maybe what a lot of people think in their head. And he, he wanted to drive me down into, and I was very much in the frugal zone at this point. So we went and parked it in town. 
And the faff involved with parking it, he was like, oh, I don't want to park it there because I'm worried about getting scratched. And he was like trying to find a spot, went there and was just checking around the outside. Do you think it's going to be okay here? And I'm like, what are you, what are you worried? It's like a car. It, he, he's created this thing that thinks is beautiful and everyone cares. I, I, it didn't mean anything to me, this car. But for him, he'd created this constant anxiety and stress in his life to the point that when we we're out, he said, I want to, can we go back? Because I want to check the car's okay. I'm like, that's been, that's been on your mind for that whole time. Like you've been thinking about the car. So not only all all of these luxuries and items aren't, aren't worth the value of bringing into life. They bring in these unknown anxieties and stresses. So actually, when you start living the other way and you don't have anything there to be worrying about, you're free. You're, you, you have this clarity that you can start to focus on the stuff that truly matters, like spending time with people, experiencing life, pushing yourself and growing. So um, yeah, I just want to emphasize that because I don't... Your point is spot on. Most people don't like the idea of it, but they're not prepared to try it. So what you did, I, I can't argue with. You tried living without it and you've got it back. Okay, great. You gave it a go. That's all I would say. Give it a go. And if you don't like it, then you can always return back. Yeah. And the part about that, I, I could care less. It's, uh, you know, I have a whole family and sometimes things are for other people too, in terms of the bill, in terms of the bills we pay, Absolutely. Especially, especially groceries. Yeah. So um, the idea of uh, that sort of mental clutter and uh, mental minimalism, as I like to say, is can also be tied to our physical things. You know, I know Marie Kondo is someone who's popular on Netflix about the idea of the art of tidying up, I think is her book. So in any case, do you consider yourself a minimalist or where do you fall kind of on that continuum? Yeah, so I've read that book. Um, if we went next door now, um, you'd see my drawers all tight. It's all been folded up and it's all color coded and it's like all stacked up like that to keep my kind of mind at ease. Again, another obsessional thinking. Minimalism, I watched the documentary I thought is fantastic. Again, if you don't believe me and you've got Netflix, watch Minimalism uh, by The Minimalists and their stuff. They give a very compelling argue, uh, argument how living with less frees you up mentally uh, and from a time perspective to pursue the stuff that really matters. And uh, I wouldn't say that... I wouldn't class myself as a minimalist, but I'd probably live with a lot less, uh, far less than I need to. And other people may class me as that. But I think when this lady said to me, are you scared when I was working? And she said, are you scared about doing your, you know, going on your own? What if it doesn't work? I was like, yeah, I am scared. But I am prepared to work 16 hours a day and live on nothing. And minimalism kind of gave me that power. It gave me the opportunity. It gave me scope to do that. And actually, there's a weakness with having to need luxuries. So I quite like the strength that I got from I need nothing from no one. So I think the pursuit of that and just testing how far I could go was a very good exercise. And I encourage everyone to do it. Did you watch the second one, Second Minimalist? Yeah, and I didn't think it had quite the same impact for me. I thought the first one was much stronger, uh, but I, I I took value from both of them. The first one really hit me hard, and I got a lot from it. I took action immediately on it, on it. The second one was a lot of repetition. I think it was more of an aesthetic piece uh, rather than the meaning that I took from the first one. What did you think, Justin? Well, I haven't seen the second one. It's on my possible to watch list and I haven't yet because I think part of me was wondering if there's much more that I can learn okay. given that to teach the concepts was probably established in the first one. But yeah, I just haven't seen the second one yet. So that's why I was curious. Yeah, I think you probably got the nuts and bolts of it. I'll probably still check it out if I have a moment. But this is the thing that I love and such a theme of this particular episode is the idea that when we're doing what we love, like I, I don't really, I, I don't find I have time for the TV anyway. So you might as well not be paying for it. You mentioned uh, Warren Buffett. I'm a big fan. That was when you were, you were referencing more the personality traits that you have and kind of like that personality profile. But one thing I don't think Warren Buffett's out there creating Instagram and YouTube content and that kind of stuff. So there's something in you that's certainly more on the creative creator, content creator side. Was that always the case as well, that you were into more the art side of business? 
Yeah, I mean, definitely not. I want to share this with um, with your audience as well, because I think it's another powerful message. I did a team building exercise called Belbing with a B, Belbing. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but you're given a different role in your unit. And I, I was helping facilitate the session as, as one of the managers. And I was the only person in the room of around 30 people that every strength that you have in excess, it's a weakness. So you can be too courageous, you can be reckless, you can be too creative and not do anything and just come up with ideas. And on the creativity side of it, I not only didn't have any strength associated with my profile, I was the only one to only have a negative on it. Every single person had weaknesses. We all had strengths and weaknesses. I was the only person in that whole room that was classed as not only having no creativity, but only having negative versions of it. So I very much classed myself as an as a, a, a non-creative person. And that is the identity I gave to myself and others kind of ranked that as well. Now, moving forward, I would class myself as a fairly creative person. Like I wouldn't say I'm the most creative, but it's no, I wouldn't say it's no longer a weakness. People actually call me creative now and I absolutely love it. Hmm. I've definitely not always been that way. Don't, don't let your identity hold you back because you can change it because I've seen that firsthand within a group of people. You know, the extreme of not being something, I've proven you can be. So anyone can be. When I got into finance, you can see I'm quite an animated, passionate guy. I get into my stuff, right? And I just wanted to help people get more money. Like I'm finding all these benefits. Please let me help you. My friends and family have been <laughs> pummeled with this stuff, right? And most of them aren't interested. So um, here, here I am trying to pummel the rest of the world and try and help them with their finances. And um, there's a lot of people that are struggling in life because they haven't got their finances down. And I feel it's the same with health and fitness. You might not be interested in it, but you need to understand it because if you don't, you'll have a lot of pain in your life without having basics of finances. You haven't got to love investing or be as obsessed with money that I have, but hopefully someone like myself can help you bridge the gap so you don't now have to you don't have to worry about it anymore. You have to have six pack abs, but you need to understand your health where it's not a detrimental thing in your life. So I feel empowered now with the help of the business that I have and my investments in property. I can do this. I'm shelling out money every single month and creating my stuff and having an editor work for me because I'm so passionate about it. And I just want to try and help people stop worrying about money and ultimately become financially free so they can just be the best versions of themselves. And I'm on my YouTube channel. Um, I'm creating content and I'm trying to make finance fun because I know for a lot of people it's dry. And this has been my creative expression. I'm trying, you know, I'm not the most educated finance person out there, but I tell you what, I'm going to be trying, I'm going to try and be the most engaging. I might not be the most engaging person on the planet, but you know what? For a finance person, I'm pretty engaging. So I'm making finance fun. The niche that I've created is financial uh, entertainment. And I'm just trying to, uh, you know, make it more accessible to people that don't care about finance. Well, it's good for you. I mean, if nothing else, in terms of networking from this episode, every time I have someone who I want to learn some financial tips, I'll be pointing them to your YouTube channel because I, you know, a few years ago when I had wanted to start the show and hadn't started it yet, I always used the term edutainment. And I think it became a pretty popular term recently. I've been using that term for close to 20 years, just in personal talk and, you know, with people like if we could combine the ability to make things entertaining and you can go all the way back to episode one on this show, I asked Buster Shear, you know, how can we make the the thing where it's like kind of cool for somebody to go learn something, right? And he says, well, it's not really cool. He'd be like, I'm going to go learn on Khan Academy right now, you know, versus it's kind of cool to go listen, watch Netflix, right? And so can we bridge that gap at least a tiny bit? And like you said earlier, the pursuit from who we are as a person to where we can get, we're never going to get there. You're never going to have learning be as cool as watching Amazon Prime or Netflix or Sky TV. It's not going to happen. However, can we make 
make more progress. And so I think your YouTube channel certainly leads to that. Growing on social in general, I guess if you were kind of like to give some people some tips on your journey, because I mean, I didn't flip through all every single video you've ever posted. You're doing quite well. There's some volume there, but I'm sure that they've improved. Oh, yeah. Right. Like everybody. I've never I've never seen that not be the case for any creator anywhere in the world on that journey of people wanting to open their Instagram for the first time ever and start creating. What are some tips you'd give them? First off, get going. Secondly, get over yourself. People aren't going to care. And uh, even if they do, it doesn't matter as much as you think it does. And just get practicing. I think then maybe step three would be more being open to learning and improving what you do. So it took me a long time to get to that. I'm probably more inherently slightly an introvert but I am an extra although although I'm on the on the on the cusp so I'm not someone that naturally a few years ago was like hey look at me this is what I'm doing I'm brilliant like that wasn't something I like to do but I've learned to just become much more comfortable with it. And now I'm actually fine to talk about what I do. And I've been hit with online hate. Uh, as you know, I've done relatively well on a couple of platforms. And what comes with that is people that don't like what you do and want to pull you down. And this has been learning to just brush that off, you know. Don't take too much in the people that are too kind to you. You know, it's thank you for your compliment, but I'm not going to read too much into that. And don't read too much into people that are like hateful or, you know, want to pull you down. It's just not reading into too much of either. But there was an analogy that came to me, which has been really useful. Uh, which was the uh, 50 pounds of clay. And they said that this, you know, I've heard different variations of it. So I could be slightly off, but you'll understand the message from it. The class was split in two and they were going to be judged on grading. Group A was the very best pinnacle piece of work. They had, they could do one pot of clay and they'd be judged. A would be perfect. B would be very good, etc. The next pot, the next group were going to be classed on the amount of clay that they created. So 50 pounds of clay would be A, say 40 pounds B, I'm going to make it up and so on. And which group do you think had the best grades at the end of it or which which group had the best pottery at the end of it what would you say justin I know the answer, okay. but I'm well researched in the world of growth mindset and learning so we'll, we'll we'll hold on it for a second so people can think about it so is it is it quality of end product or is it quantity and shall I reveal sure the the answer was was uh, quantity so the group that had to just produce 50 pounds ended up producing better results at the end of it. Now, whether that story is 100% on the mark or it's slightly off, you get the message. So coming back to social media, don't over procrastinate and try and create what I'm creating now because I wasn't creating what I'm creating now. It took me a while. I had to do, I had to create shit to get to that point. So just get going. Go easy on yourself because knowingly it's not going to be all right, but just take the win that you posted. You've got a pound of clay on the, you know, you've got one down. Now shoot for two pounds. Now for 10 pounds and you will learn what good looks like and then the next step is look at people who are i mean this is my advice for anything you do in life investing for business or whatever find someone doing what it is that you want to do and model them and reach out to them if you can try and learn buy courses read books and understand what they did and try and follow their steps and if you're courageous enough to do it and you won't give in and you're resilient you'll do just fine I really appreciate that. A very quick story on my end as well. I was working with a student and she, I knew she could be a good photographer. She loved photography and wanted to do it. And and back to that idea of why some people just don't do it. And whatever that is, if we could bottle it and put it in a bottle and sell it, that, that whole idea of like, you know, doing the, the courage, the courageous thing and, and, and seeing that there is fear, but I'm going to push on anyways. So many people don't. And so I said, okay, you know, like show me all the f- photography you've done in the last week. 
and the folder was empty, like literally empty. So then I went and met her in person at a coffee shop here. You know, what's going on? And it was all those things you're referencing, right, that lead to procrastination. And then I said, okay, so the goal is going to be just to do one photo every day. We're going to do it as a habit instead, because Mm -hmm. then I know we're going to get to that kind of pottery clay method, right? We're going to make 30 photos this month. So that's some, at least one's going to be good. Or if it's not next month, one we'll have 60 and one will be good. But you know what I'm saying? So, and she was like, so how? So I said, okay, never mind. I said, start a timer on your, uh, on your phone. We're going to use my phone. And I said, take 10 pictures. We have 10 minutes and we're going to do 10 photos now in this coffee shop now. And she was like, scared, but she had someone to help her take those 10 photos, right? I said, it doesn't matter. I said, you could probably do it in three minutes if you went really fast, but you got 10 minutes, just chill. And one every 60 seconds, look for something you want to shoot, shoot it, worry about editing later, just get the shots. Love it. And then all of a sudden she had her first 10 photos and we were there for 10 minutes. And, you know, she'd been working on this course for close to a month. But in any case, um, I love that. I really appreciate it. I think it's kind of a, a great point to bring this all to a culmination for this edition anyhow. But with the YouTube channel quickly, I want to make sure that people know how they can support it. So is that your big goal right now is growing the YouTube? Yeah, I'm on a mission for a million subscribers. I've called that out from day one and I will not stop until I get that unless I die, which is also a possibility. So I die or I get a million subscribers. Two things are going to happen right there. Um, The channel is Hugh Davis under my name. It's about trying to make finance fun. Come and check it out. And if you, uh, you know, any any people from Justin's show here listening, if you've got any finance questions and you want some direct help, I can't, I I mean, I don't know what volumes are like, but DM me on Instagram. Uh, It's Hugh's view. And uh, I will do my best to try and help you. I I leave voice notes to people and I'm not, I'm not promising you the world I'm not saying I could get around to everyone but I try my very best to speak to every single person so if you've got any direct questions uh, or if you'd like me to do a video on something that's important to you and if I feel I could add value I'll, I'll absolutely do that it's beautiful and you said that you're gonna make it or die first and uh <laughs> exactly right we're a lot alike in that way because I think I creep people out when I say that sometimes but they're like are you gonna succeed with this podcast like full time and I'm like that or yeah, you know, it's that or uh, the answer is yes. It's yes. Yeah, this show is going to be quite successful or I'm going to die first and we'll see what comes first. And I'm OK with that. I've made peace with it. And I potentially that's motivating, too. Um, so I have a few theme questions are kind of rapid fire, I guess. The first one is if you were to leave one overall piece of advice for the next generation, what would it be? Ooh, OK, um, it, it, do you know what? It would probably be what I spoke about living with Arate. Like, I think everything comes down to that, like life and trying to be the best version, live with virtue and live with excellence. Be the best version if you can, but be know the fact that you'll never get to perfection and that's okay. It's not about hitting perfection. It's the pursuit of it that really matters. So just be the best boyfriend, employee, funny friend, partner, dad, whatever you can be. And um, life will be far richer uh, as a result. It's amazing. One thing that you yourself are learning right now. Storytelling. Uh, It's through, and that's one of the ways I'm trying to make finance fun, is trying to tell a story through it and it can help engagement. It's really difficult. So I am trying to learn how to hook people in and get them captivated that I must stay to the end to watch it. Uh, I don't know if if that's obvious or not, but yeah, I'm hands up. I'm learning this process. It's not easy, but I am excited with what I can do at the end of it. And I am knowingly creating stuff which I know isn't great and I'm okay with that, but I'll get there in the end. 
Well, that's good because even for yourself or anyone, I mean, making all those pots, like you said, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm looking forward to just more stories for sure. Awesome. Um, And then passing the microphone to you, like a lot of podcasters do, we all have different skill sets in terms of building audiences or different curiosities. If you were to ask me a question that you'd be curious about or you think might help my audience, like what is a question that you would ask me? Okay, you've asked a lot of very good questions. So I'm going to hit you with a deep one in that um, if you were to look back over the last 12 months, are you truly proud of what you've accomplished? And the second part of that is if you were given 12 months to live, what would you do now that you're not currently doing to maximize your life? Uh, Now I'm going to have three answers instead of two because I have a two-part answer for the second one, I think. Proud of the last 12 months, yes, in that Life's hit me hard, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, in terms of the grief piece and life, I guess. And there were many moments where I thought of like, what's the point in creating this podcast? What's the point in creating this business and continuing to push on, you know, because life's short, right? The opposite, using that motivation that life's short in kind of the opposite way. Well, what's the point then anyways? Yet... I built systems to just keep going regardless of life circumstances. So I'm proud of that part and proud of the goals that I have and the systems that I have moving forward. And also, I'll, I'll, I'll be open and transparent. You mentioned earlier, listen to other people, get mentors and courses and kind of stuff like that. I've always just done this myself, right? But now I'm working with John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneurs on Fire, one of the biggest podcasts in the world. Oh, right. And, you know, we had a really good meeting the other day and he's sees a ton of promise in the show and, Ooh, yeah. you know, has always liked it. He was supposed to come on and then and, and we just hadn't gotten a date yet, similar to how you and I were playing tag too. And then at this point, you know, I said to him, like, it doesn't even matter to do his episodes right now. You know, the point is, let's build the habits. And, and back to that about the actual, like, being proud, he said... I want you to keep doing the interviews because they're awesome. But every day that you don't have an interview, put out your 10 minute episode. And uh, I that hit me hard because a year ago, uh, David Meltzer, who's another pretty big personality on the social media and stuff like that and business person, said the same thing. But he wasn't coming from it with a podcast background experience as much. So I was like, I don't want to confuse people. I love the interview shows, right? JLD last week said, just do it. Trust me, you're going to like the results. And so I said, all right, fine, I'll actually do it now. So yeah, I guess proud, but also reflective and feeling like I could have done more. And in terms of what I would do if I, you know, if I had 12 months to live, I think if I'm being fair, if that was like actually the case, I would probably spend as much time as I could with my kids. Like that's probably all I would do. To answer the question in terms of like, you know, I I think relating back to all these things we've talked about too, is I would do an interview show daily because I would want to talk to 365 more amazing, interesting teachers and curate their insight and wisdom. So we would at least end up with 365 more episodes aside from that, hang out with my kids and my wife and and family as much as possible. That's an awesome answer. It sounds like- Never sleep, never sleep. I would never sleep. (laughs) 12 months, why would I sleep? Sorry, I cut you off there. No, no, not at all. I I think it's a a, a top answer. I love the fact that you've got the blend of, like, I think life is just about relationships and experiences, ultimately, what it comes down to. And experiences is a very broad category. But you're, you know, the experiences we get from connecting to people like this and learning and being tested and have debates and discussion, I just find fascinating, especially as this is the first time we've talked, right, Justin? So it's great to meet a new person and blending being able to put your views in the world as well as help sharing the value of other people to your your audience and trying to help inspire them, I think is just quite a magical thing to kind of get behind. So I like the balance there. You've got your family and continuing to kind of create content. Uh, so, and, and by the way, 
I think just from the the chat that we've had, you're a great interviewer. You ask great questions. You're very you're a very good listener. I, I see no reason why you wouldn't hit it either. So uh, I've I've got every faith in you there. Really appreciate that. Means a lot. Brings a happy tear to my eye. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. The final question always, and it's an important one because I want people to be able to support you is Hugh's views. Do is there anywhere else that you would like to point people to go check out how they can see what you're up to and how they can support your work or learn more? YouTube is uh, Hugh Davis, H-U-W-D-A-V-I-E-S. My website is Hughes View, HughesView.com. And then Hughes View, just that tag. I do have scammers trying to be me and take money from you and give me some money and I'll do some trading for you. I would never, ever do that in a DM. So make sure it's Hughes View uh, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and, uh, and Twitter. So yeah, reach out, say hello. And if I can help, I certainly will. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. You've definitely helped in this case for over an hour and I'm really appreciative and thankful for that. I know we're all kind of tight on time and time's valuable. So really just want to say thank you so much and I look forward to seeing more of what you make. Thank you. Thanks for your time and the opportunity and uh, yeah, all the very best. Awesome. And scene. There we go. Awesome. JKL community, appreciate you being here so much. Thank you to our guest today, Hugh. Like all guests, he is incredibly funny and generous, but this episode was just jam-packed with wisdom. This fella from across the world from me has a ton of not just knowledge, but deep wisdom that can help any of us in the world of business or frankly, just life. As always, we love receiving your DMs or texts about the show. If you have any input, comments, please hit me up. The solo episodes are really getting a lot of praise and ideas, so thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Until the next episode, all the best, and remember, just keep learning. You're one step closer to making your big dreams come true, but there's plenty more where that came from. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, and if you know anyone who might love the show, send them a link. We'll see you next time on Just Keep Learning with Justin at Just Tries.